Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a fun episode, at least to me. We have a fun episode for you uh, coming up tonight. Uh, the Men in Black versus the Hat Man. Uh, I haven't done one of these in a while. We talked about hat-wearing type entities uh, a little while back kind of coming out of the re-release of A Walk in the Shadows, my my book on shadow people. And so we talked about a different variety of shadow. We concentrated on that one for a little bit. But this one, Hatman versus Men in Black, because I get that question a lot. You know, are men in black, uh, you know, shadow entities or, uh, you know, are they aliens and just the, all those types of questions. And this was really inspired by my conversation this past Monday night uh, with Jimmy Church. I was on his show, which those of you uh, that are tuning in later on this on KGRA radio, of course, very familiar with, with his show. And well, I guess probably most people are familiar with Jimmy Church. Uh, but in any case, you know, we had a really interesting discussion about these types of things. And I figured I would just, you go ahead and dive deeper into it because uh, that show, we talked about a lot of different topics, but I figured here on Beyond the Shadows, we could just do a deep dive into this. And uh, I did it a, a couple of years ago. I think it was back when we were, uh, it may have been when we were inside the Upside Down before we changed the name to Beyond the Shadows. Can't quite recall, but uh, it's, it's always good to do a refresher. Of course, as I keep researching, we learn more things. But before we get into all of that, we do have some... Uh, housekeeping to do. Of course, uh, Beyond the Shadows brought to you by the Connected Universe Portal, your portal to exploring the mysteries of the cosmos. Those listening to the podcast later or on KGRA radio, uh, you can tune in to this live stream, the video version of it, Wednesday nights through the Connected Universe Portal at connecteduniverseportal.com. You get all the instructions there on how to connect and get into the live stream, chat with us, ask your questions, all that great stuff. Uh, this coming week, we have a lot of things going on, you know, especially behind the scenes, and we'll get to some of that uh, later. But coming up Friday night at 7 p.m., Nicole and I are hosting a game night, and we'll be broadcasting that on Facebook. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, this this Friday, the 30th, tune in for that. It's just you know, instead of getting deep into, you know, all the shadows and paranormal, supernatural stuff, consciousness like we were doing last week uh, with me or with her uh, being a, a psychic medium. And she talks about, you know, energy and, uh, you know, tuning into loved ones. And instead of getting heavy like that, we're just going to have some fun. So uh, we've already invited a lot of people out to that. I'll share the posts out and all that great stuff uh, so people can get the information how to tune in. It'll be live on Facebook. But tomorrow, before we do that on Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, uh, I will be on Nicole's Guiding Echoes channel, and she will be talking with me about the dark side of consciousness. Uh, that's going to be a really, really interesting discussion. We talked a lot about uh, consciousness uh, last week. We're going to hit on some more of that tomorrow on her show. So uh, that will be on the Guiding Echoes channel on YouTube. So. Check that out. And uh, all right. So the last thing here, last bit of housekeeping before we dive into it, a monthly Q&A video is going to go out by the end of this week. So last call for questions to the monthly Q&A 
video. So I'll make that post here uh, probably tomorrow morning, saying last call for the question. You can go out to connecteduniverseportal.com and get the topic there. Of course, I'll take any uh, question on any topic, but you know we try to kind of guide and steer a little bit. And here's a topic for you. Uh, you know, if you want to ask a question, there you go. You can drop that right into the community uh, side of the membership site. So, all right. Now, without further ado, and I see once again the chat has scrolled on without me. <laughs> all right, let's get into Men in Black versus the Hat Man. And uh, I'm going to start with the Men in Black. And then we'll kind of compare and contrast and all that uh, because we've done a lot with with shadows, uh, shadow entities here in recent months. Like I said, because of the re-release of uh, Walk in the Shadows and because the Shadow Dimension is coming out, I know people have been asking me questions uh, about okay, when's it coming out? What platform? All that. I don't have an exact date. There are several platforms that are going to be uh, hosting it. When I know more specifics, I'll let you all know. So, the Hatman now. We've had this interesting issue, as, as many of you well know, with the whole trademark thing on, on Shadow People. The Hat Man, by the same person, has also been trademarked. Of course, I take an issue with that as well. Now, this person also claims that uh, they have coined these phrases. Shadow People, we know, has been, that term's been around for at least 150 years, probably longer. Uh, the Hat Man, I mean, this goes back at least to, well, when we're talking about these types of people, it goes back to at least the 1940s when we started talking about the men in black and all that. But the hat man has been a term that's been around for a long, long time because, well, people used to, I mean, they would sell hats. You could actually go to a specific hat store and the guy there was called the hat man because he sold hats and he, that was his specialty. And so, I mean, you can just do a search on any newspaper database on the Hat Man. You're going to get all kinds of a slew of advertisements and, and articles and what have you on the Hat Man. Uh, the Hat Man was also political slang for, uh, you know, one who you know, wears many hats, has a lot of functions or uh, is switching between one job to another. We talk about that, like, in the workplace now, but... The term actually came out of like old school politics from you know like the early 20th century. Also from that era, in a social setting, hat man would be one who passes the hat, uh, and then also the carnival vendor with their straw hats, you know, step right up, you know, that sort of thing. They were known as the hat man. So this is a term that's been around for a long, long time. Of course, that's not the type of hat man uh, that we're going to be uh, talking about. The hat man. Men in black, wearing the hat, looking dark, wearing the trench coats, all of that stuff. So we're going to start with this incident at uh, Mari Island. This actually predates Roswell. And basically what was going on uh, in, in this particular incident, the uh, gentleman's name was Harold Dahl, and he witnessed these... Uh, UFOs flying over Mari Island. Uh, there was all kinds of chaff and slag that were uh, falling out of these. He described them as being donut-shaped. Uh, he did say that this debris actually uh, killed his dog. 
uh, although nobody was actually, uh, no person was killed. The dog was, uh, his son was injured. So, you know, not a very fun incident. And so, of course, you know, he made, of course, a big stink about this in the local area. You know, what the heck, you know, was that? What's going on here? Well, you can kind of see here in this uh, artist's representation, those that are uh, listening to the podcast or listening on KGRA later uh, are not seeing this, and I do apologize for that. But basically, it's an artist's rendition of the uh, of Harold Dahl on his boat with his child, uh, the dog's even in the in the the way it's done. It kind of does, kind of does. Uh, but in any case, after he had reported this, all of a sudden this man in black shows up, and then he suddenly changed his story. Uh, and it was this incident where we actually got the term flying saucer. That's the way he described them was uh, a saucer. Uh, shaped object that was up in the air. So that's where it got named uh, Flying Saucers. Now, the uh, uh, there was a uh, local pilot who was hired to investigate uh, this a little bit further. He was hired by Ray Palmer of Fate Magazine. Fate Magazine is still around today. I was just on their podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, too. So, yeah, they've been around since the 1940s. And... What ended up happening, so uh, Kenneth Arnold asked two Army investigators to jump in on this investigation as well. And what was really bizarre, and I remember they've been warned by the men in black already. What was really bizarre is that they had collected uh, some of the slag from witnesses to this event and you can see here the plane on fire. Well, that's the plane of these couple of pilots, which crashed, and they ended up perishing. So, you know, is it ironic that, or it seems overly ironic that after they were warned off of this, Harold Dahl changes his story. Uh, those that were involved end up perishing in a plane crash. So... This is where it gets into that whole, you know, government conspiracy. These are you know, agents from some shadowy government organization. We'll talk about that uh, in a little while, too. So from there, kind of fast forward a little bit. This is Albert K. Bender, and this is a story that I've really enjoyed telling of Lane. Now, he's holding an illustration of, you can see, uh, a a man with a hat. Uh, he has a shadowy face there. This one, uh, this next one, I'm going to show is straight out of his book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. This is a, he's not the greatest artist. You know, he never claimed to be an artist, but that's his rendition of what he ended up seeing. And I have the book right here, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. So what ended up happening with Albert K. Bender? This is in 1953, uh, he had he had put together the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952 following, and they called it back then the Great UFO Flat because UFO sightings just skyrocketed in 1952. You know, started there, Maury Island. Well, I mean, people have been seeing 
unidentified flying objects in, in the air for a long, long time. But Mari Island happened shortly thereafter. Roswell, Roswell, of course, jump-started uh, all of this, and you know people started seeing these men in black. So 1952, that's the year that, the, uh, that Washington, D.C. got buzzed with, uh, with UFO activity. Albert K. Bender, some friends, uh, ended up putting together an International Flying Saucer Bureau. This thing went international quick, in a heartbeat. So they were in the U.K., they were in Australia. And you got to remember, this is in the early 1950s. It's not like you can just jump on the Internet, send, you know, send a couple emails, do a little you know, social media marketing, and boom, you're, you've got an organization going on. You know, they're you know, writing letters, snail mail. They're, if they jumped on a phone call, uh, you know, long-distance charges back then were very expensive, so you weren't always just jumping on the phone to call, you know, the U.K. or even, you know, the next state over. That would get very expensive back then. So, you know, it's, it's really impressive that they were able to get a big organization put together so quickly. And, you know, they're putting out these newsletters and, uh, you know, disseminating all this information that they're, they're gathering. Well... Albert Bender walks into his house one day. Now, he had already seen like somebody following him, and it was kind of reminiscent of this, this man in black. He's in his house one day, and he, he goes into his bedroom. He's getting ready for bed. And materializing through the wall are three entities, shadowy in nature, wearing the hats with, the, with glowing eyes. And from his accounts, basically what they did, they ended up warning him off. You need to stop talking about this. Uh, you know, he was he was threatened, uh, and he complied because he you know feared he feared for his life. International Flying Saucer Bureau went defunct. Uh, you know, nobody really knew the real story. He ended up putting this book out years later to explain why the International Flying Saucer Bureau uh, went defunct, why they folded. And it was due to these visits. Now, he, he said that these were extraterrestrials. I hear the story, and, and of course other people are saying they're men in black. I hear the story, and with me, with my experiences, I'm like, this is a shadow person story. They're materializing through the wall. They're shadowy in nature. They're wearing the hats. They have glowing eyes. So many of the hat-wearing shadow entity stories that I've heard are very similar in nature. You know, where, okay, you can't really see details of, of the face. Uh, sometimes they have glowing eyes, sometimes not, you know, they're wearing kind of like the fedora. Uh, to him, they're kind of dressed in suits. Now, the hat-wearing entities, they do sometimes wear clothing. A lot of times with the fedora, it's like a uh, trench coat. Sometimes wearing a top hat with a cape, with or without the cape, really. Sometimes you get the wide-brimmed hat. There's one account I've heard of an archer-style hat. So very, very uh, you know, different styles, but seemingly all related. So I hear his story and I'm like, that's, that's a shadow person story. He says extraterrestrials. Others are saying men in black. So 
what are these things really? So let me uh, let me scroll down. I just want to check the chat here because you guys are talking a lot of uh, uh, different things in here. So you guys are talking brownies. Okay. Um, so question from Anne, is there any connection between black eyed kids and the men in black? Because in the stories they talk about uh, BEK parents, could MIB be an adult BEK? Uh, interesting question. So we actually had David Weatherly on Edge of the Rabbit Hole a few weeks ago, and we were talking uh, black eyed children. He's He has a fantastic book on that topic. And, um, you know, there are a handful of cases in which black eyed children have been seen with an adult also with the black eyes. Um, what's different about this though, when it comes down to BEKs, because I do get this question, are, you know, are some shadow entities, uh, you know, or, or black eyed children actually uh, shadow entities? And no, I mean, they're, they're not for a couple of different reasons. For one, uh, with shadow entities, you generally don't see too many features. Uh, you know, you might see some eyes on occasion. Usually you don't even see eyes. You don't see mouth, nose. Uh, you just don't see features. It's usually all dark. Um, but aside from from that, uh, black-eyed children have to be invited inside the home. They will come as far as the door, but you have to invite them inside. They will not cross the threshold. So these, you know, these hat wearing entities with Albert K. Bender, I mean, they materialize through the wall right in there. Uh, you know, the shadow entities, men in black, they don't have to be invited in. They just walk right in themselves. So they, uh, they're definitely different entities. Um, kind of jumping ahead, uh, I'll come back around, but just real quick. To me, they're all different types of interdimensional beings. So they could be related in some degree just based on that, that they are interdimensional. They may be aware of each other, um, but they're not each other. So, all right. So that's Albert K. Bender's story. And to me, again, it's just extremely fascinating that you have three different types of things that this could be right there in this one moment. Men in black, extraterrestrial, shadow entities. And you get all these interesting stories over the years. Um, you know, there's the Niagara Falls story where there was a UFO sighting uh, right there at Niagara Falls. And then all of a sudden, these two guys here are caught on camera walking into a hotel they're they're asking to see the witness the the witness of the ufo and they want to see the hotel manager neither were available and these guys just walked out uh you know they're wearing i mean they could have just been ordinary guys you know if you want to kind of you know be skeptical about it of course but they walk in they're wearing the the suits they're wearing the jackets they're wearing the hats so these look like, you know, actual men in black agents. Um, there's also the idea, and these are the observers from, uh, from Fringe, that many of these are just watching and observing us, that they're not really taking an active role uh, in, in what we're doing. Now, obviously, some 
some of our Men in Black stories, you know, do have that. Uh, you know, the very first one that we were talking about with Harold Dahl, he was warned off. Um, you know, very interactive with uh, Albert K. Bender. So you do have ones that are very interactive, but there are others that just seem to watch and almost do nothing. They're you know, taking in, you know, some sort of information. We don't exactly know what that is. Uh, and we get that a lot with our, with our shadow entities. You know, somebody wakes up in the middle of the night and they see this entity at the end of their, at the end of their bed in the corner of their room. And of course they become very frightened because they're thinking, okay, it's, it's an intruder that's in the room. You know, this person should not be here. You naturally get frightened. But in many cases, the actual entity itself isn't doing anything. They're just standing there and watching very creepy. Yes. It's, a, it's an invasion of privacy, but they're just watching and observing. And there are, a lot of different possibilities, and we've kind of uh, explored that before as to what they could possibly be doing, whether it's an extraterrestrial, whether it's an interdimensional being, uh, whether it's even a time traveler that, you know, in any of those scenarios, why would they be watching and observing us? Well, if it's an extraterrestrial, uh, you know, they may be just collecting information about our planet and our species. Same thing with an interdimensional uh uh, being as well, that if they're traveling here from some other dimension, they're not familiar with how things work in our dimension. They're going to want to gather information. So is that why they're watching and observing? And the, I mean, the imagination can run wild with the whole why of the matter. Uh, with a time traveler, you know, if we, I mean, put yourself in a time traveler's shoes. If, if you go back in time, you know, to witness another age of our existence, how much of that are you going to want to interact with, especially at first? Um, I, at least for me, while it would be interesting to interact, I'm going to watch and observe at first just to, you know, there's just some moments in history that you don't necessarily want to interact with it. You just want to witness this and witness it and, and see what actually happened, what actually went down and be like, oh, okay, so that's what happened. That's how uh, that's how things occurred. So if it's a time traveler, you know, there's that possibility as well, that that's why they're watching and observing. Again, the imagination can can run very wild here uh, with that. So uh, Rick Gabbert, would anything bad happen if someone invited a black-eyed child into their home or place? There are just a handful of uh, of accounts of people that have invited them, well, like one uh, in, in David's book. And I covered this in, in the Black Eyed Children video that uh, we have there on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel, where it was the child that invited a black eyed child into their car. Uh, the woman, uh, the mother had run into the store to grab something real quick, had left the child in the car. And the black eyed kid came up to the car and then the child invited him in. The mother ended up booting the black-eyed child out of the car when she came back because, you know, here's a strange kid in my car now. And with the, with the black-eyed kids, they get very, uh, you know, people kind of have that sense of doom and dread about them. I mean, you, you've, 
it's it's a strange dichotomy because you have a sense of oh it's a child and you know we want to generally help children but then there's just this feeling that overcomes you that there's something wrong with this situation there's something wrong with this child um and so it's it's very interesting juxtaposition so she boots the child out of the car and then all kinds of terrible things ended up happening to them so it's like inviting them in becomes this harbinger of bad things to come, which is why people say, don't invite them in. Um, all right, so moving on from that a little bit, um, let's get into a little bit with uh, the the shadows. We're actually going to talk about the shadow. And feel free to toss in a, a bunch of questions. I'm kind of... Uh, running through this a lot. So we're running through this very quickly. So interesting thing in my research on on shadow entities, when it comes to you know the hat wearing ones, I've, I found an interesting tale in a place I totally was not expecting it. And that was in John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies. And at the very beginning of the book, it's almost just kind of like a throw-in. Uh, it really has nothing to do with, with the Mothman. And Keel accounts, it's a, it's, a haunted, um, it's a haunted house in New, York, New York's Greenwich Village. It's on Gay Street. And basically, the, the writer, uh, Walter B. Gibson, under the name Maxwell Grant for the old shadow stories uh and it ended up becoming a, a radio serial as well as his you know his pulp books and so he wrote many of his stories from this uh from this house after he had moved out you know all of a sudden people started seeing this hat wearing shadow entity there and you know hans holzer went there and investigated and uh, people started, you know, coming up with stories about it was a Revolutionary War soldier that was shot and killed, and all these different things. Um, and the interesting thing is that the hauntings didn't really start happening until after Walter B. Gibson had moved out. And Keel talks about it in Mothman Prophecies, and I ended up coming across a, an article with Walter B. Gibson also talking about this phenomenon that people who had moved in after and were witnessing this thing many times would see him in the hallway and you know just very shadowy in nature, wearing the hat, uh, and ultimately it was a depiction of the shadow from Walter B. Gibson's Maxwell Grant's stories. So what they actually chalked this up to was a topa. So a thought form basically come to life. And in this case, it just happened to be a hat-wearing shadow entity based on uh, his, his stories. And so it was a whole different spin on what some of these different entities could possibly be. Uh, a tulpa could actually be one of them. So, okay, he's wearing the hat. Now, 
somebody else in that situation could look at that and say, okay, this is, you know, maybe it's a, it's, maybe it's a man in black situation. Don't know why it would be, but you have a lot of people uh, involved in ufology that don't really get involved with the whole, you know, paranormal ghost stories, that sort of thing. And vice versa, where you have people, you know, very involved with the paranormal, they don't really get into uh, ufology, UFO sightings. I have an interest in, in each. So you have two different sides here that to one person, you know, that's going to be a, a man in black. To another person, you know, that's going to be a hat-wearing shadow entity when sometimes it could really just be the same thing. Um, in this particular description, I, you know, I chalk it more up to, okay, this is a, this is a shadow person, not a man in black. Um, you know, so I kind of did kind of uh, skip a part here when we were talking specifically about men in black, and we'll get back to it here in a moment. But um, the whole, you know, trying to classify what we're experiencing uh, is a very human trait. We, we, you know, we try to, you know, we want to understand things and to try to understand what's going on in our environment, in our world, what we do is we break things down, we, we try to classify it. But yeah, I think a lot of times with these things, we're, we're experiencing the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, are these, are these hat men, are these uh, men in black, are they one and the same? You know, one would call them an alien, one would call them a, uh, a shadow person, but they could actually be the same thing. I, I do believe many of our uh, shadow encounters are extraterrestrial in nature. They are a variety of different things. They're not just one thing. And I think that's where, and I get asked it a lot. And a lot of the uh, you know, emails that I receive, messages I receive, uh, interviews that I do, you know, get that question, what is a shadow person? And it's like, well, there's no one answer for that because uh, shadow entities are a lot of different things. They could be a human spirit. They could be, um, they could be an extraterrestrial. They could be an interdimensional being. I think a kind of quote-unquote true shadow person is an interdimensional being. Um, but we see many different things in a shadow form, you know, a time traveler or an astral projector or a light being. You know, a lot of these different things will come off as a shadow. So, um, is there another question here? Uh, okay. Rick Gabber, have you ever seen any men in black before, Mike? And then Nicole, I still think Mike was, was an MIB when he worked for NSA. That was, uh, okay. That was a thing that I kind of skipped on and didn't, uh, get to. And actually I forgot to, I forgot to add the image here. So let me, uh, Bear with me for just a moment, folks, and let me get this uh, image brought to you and loaded up here. Uh, because it, there is some storytelling with this. And so that is the NSA building that Nicole referred to. Because uh, there is a story here. So I do get asked, you know, was I a man in black? Because, okay, I've, I did spend some time at NSA, and so... I've seen what, when we talk about 
shadowy government agents. You know, a lot of people will point them at you know, NSA or CIA or FBI or maybe even an organization within the government that we don't know about. Uh, they do exist. Uh, I used to do computer support for uh, some of these people. And a, a lot of them, I mean, we're basically talking about supporting the spies. And a, a lot of them just aren't even, you know, dresses like men in black. Uh, I, I have to be careful with uh, with what I say when it comes to uh, these stories in, in my time there. And uh, when I was on, like, when I was on Jimmy Church the other night, I got to the point yeah, he's he's grilling me. He's he's you know asking me some great questions. I got to a point where I was like, "Oh, Jimmy, yeah, we're gonna have to take that one offline because we can't, I can't talk about that here, you know, uh, on a public broadcast." So, basically, in my time there, computer support for the spies, for for lack of a better term, there were times in which uh, I had to go to an undisclosed location off site. So the, the photo here, this is the NSA headquarters at Fort George G. Meade, Maryland. Uh, but NSA has a lot of different sites and installations all over the place. Um, the, the biggest employer in Maryland is actually the NSA, by the way. But you know, even when I was in, uh, stationed in Alaska, there was an NSA office right down the hall from, from my office. Uh, so they have places all over and you know, people ask me about the, um, the big installation they put in, in Utah. And it's like, I have, I have not been there. Um, but there were times uh, I would have to go to a local site away from the headquarters that basically, um, you know, had, a, had a front to it. So, uh, we would, go to this, um, it's like a little out of the way strip mall. And there are a couple different businesses within there. We would have to dress in the dark suits and we would walk in there as a little, you know, receptionist that's there. You know, it's look, it's just looking like some office type of business. There, there wasn't really, um, you know, like a, like a business name on the building or anything like that. Uh, it was just, you know, here's this little business here with a couple of others scattered throughout there. And so we'd check in with, with, the, uh, with the receptionist and we'd go through this door and back behind that door, there's this vault. <laughs> and then we'd have to go into the, into the vault and do some stuff. And so, um, so that's where it comes up. You know, where was Mike a uh, was Mike a man in black? Um, you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's interesting. I, there's, I guess, where it helps me now is in determining the the BS stories that I hear sometimes of you know people that say um, they got a story from an insider, you know and the story came out of, of NSA or, or whatever. And like just one, for example, you know, hearing, hearing a story uh, a couple years ago now about, uh, you know, there's a, an office on the seventh floor of NSA that was solely devoted, devoted to aliens. 
and that's just that's kind of paraphrasing it. But basically, the seventh floor of NSA, you know, had this this office. Well, okay. You see that there's four different buildings there. Uh, the original building, the operations building, is the the one with the fewest floors. That was actually the building that uh, my office was in. It also has the longest, or at least while I was there, it may have been superseded by now. But at the time, it had the longest hallway in the world, which I actually walked. Um, but that one's like, what, four? I think it's four stories is what it is. So that doesn't even make it to seven floors. Uh, the other buildings, okay, behind behind the operations building, you see a taller beige building. That's the headquarters building. It has nine floors. Uh, there is a there is a term that we would use, even though the top brass or like the director had been moved out of that building by the time I got there into one of the newer ones. Um, there was a phrase that would get used. Uh, something going up to the ninth floor because that's where the ninth floor of the headquarters building for decades, that's where the top brass was. That's more than seven floors. Um, and then the other two buildings, the, the tallest one, they're both the newer ones. These are the Reagan buildings. They were built during the Reagan administration, 2A and 2B. Um, you know, they're both more than seven floors and the tallest one being 13. Uh, 2A is, is 13 floors. So for somebody to come out and say, yeah, the uh, uh, you know, seventh floor of NSA has you know, all this alien stuff, it's like, yeah, um, if you were actually there and saw that, you would be like seventh floor of such and such building, whether it was 2A or 2B or the headquarters building. Um, that and if you knew anything about walking around the halls in those buildings, they don't just have, um, it, it's not like you're walking down the hall and they have like windows into these rooms, um, or that they have like these big signs that say, this is this department and this is that department. Um, in some of the more administrative areas, you get a little bit of that, but, um, like for for instance, the, the one building here, uh, right in the front, 2B. Now, you can see it's mirrored. Uh, they're also insulated with copper so that you, know, you couldn't get uh, transmissions through the building. It's pretty crazy. But whenever we would have uh, the, the taller building, 2A, that uh, kind of had like um, some of the, like if you had a visitor checking in, that's where they would check in. There were some different meeting rooms down there. And every once in a while, we'd have to go down there. Well, to get to there from the operations building that we were at, you would have to walk through 2B. And that 2B building was creepy. Again, there's nothing that's saying aliens or anything, really. You're just walking down the hall. In some areas, it's kind of dimly lit, and there's just these doors. They're not labeled. They're not marked. It's just door, door, you know, and then just this hall. Um, it, it was, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, so anybody that's actually been there, um, you know, wouldn't state something like that. And actually the creepiest place was the basement. So that's the whole, if I was a man in black sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Victoria, it's kind of set up like a, a Faraday cage, but 
with copper. Just the whole the whole thing is is insulated with copper uh, to prevent the the transmissions. So. All right, so uh, Tom McNicholas, are men in black only seen around alien cultures or seen in public areas around the world? Uh, good question, good question. Because, yeah, they, they, in many cases, get related to, uh, strictly to alien encounters. Um, Nicole and I have been uh, re-watching Fringe. It's actually a first time for me, and uh, Nicole, this would be her second time running through it. But... There are cases in which they're kind of doing just that. They're watching, observing, taking those. We don't know why. But the same thing is true of shadow entities. And this is where that kind of gray area uh, comes into play with, uh, with men in black and, and shadow, uh, hat wearing shadow entities is, okay, at, at what point, which is which? Um, because people will report you know, seeing a man in black, but them not really doing anything. A good example is um, Dan Aykroyd. I know that sounds like Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd. This one time he was in New York. Um, they were getting, uh, they were prepping for a television show. And he ended up getting a phone call from, of all people, Britney Spears. And she was asking him about, you know, trying to get on Saturday Night Live or, or whatever. And while he's out there, he sees black car, man in black. He's got the hat and everything going on. Just kind of gives him a nasty look. And, and Dan's like, what? You know, and he's saying something to, to Brittany on the phone, turns back again to look at, you know, this guy that gave him the nasty look, this man in black, gone completely, both him and the car gone um and, and the guy wasn't like in the car uh, he was like standing next to it and apparently I, I i don't know how you get in the thing in about two seconds and take off and you're not seen at all so it was like he materialized into thin air both he and the car that was uh, really kind of bizarre um again nothing with aliens going on following that though goes inside and they've canceled the show that they were working on it's really kind of crazy uh, so yeah, they are they are seen um, at other times you know, with, without necessarily having there to be an, an alien encounter at that time. Uh, but yeah, it's it, all of these weird, strange things seem to happen around these these hat wearing people, whether it's a, a man in black or a shadow entity. Another one that comes up with the with the shadows. Um, you know, are the idea of an energy vampire. I haven't really talked about that yet with, uh, you know, the, the hat-wearing shadows. Again, there's a variety of different things that these could be. Uh, it, but that is one of them. So there are a lot of people who do report encountering a hat-wearing shadow entity and, and something bad happens. Uh, they seem to uh, to communicate telepathically. The same thing with, and see, here's another, you know, moment that is, or another detail that's very similar to Albert K. Bender's experience with Albert K. Bender, with his, with his hat entities or men in black or whatever they were, or, or extraterrestrials, they spoke to him telepathically. There, there was nothing coming out of, of their mouth to speak to him orally. 
It was all telepathic. When people report seeing the hat-wearing shadow entities, again, it's all speaking telepathically. Um, you know, with, with shadow entities, there's, there's no mouth anyway. So there's no, you know, vocal cords or any way for sound to come out. So it's that thought transference between the two. Um, so what a lot of people believe that some of these hat-wearing shadows are energy vampires that they they come in they and sometimes uh, yeah another one they're uh, sometimes they're flanked by two other shadow entities not always wearing the hats some are also wearing the hats and then some are flanked by just two what we would call a, uh, a humanoid figure shadow being but again it's it's the three sometimes that happens sometimes it doesn't but when they come in they strike fear into that person that's there in the room. Usually this is like during sleep. And when they strike that fear into a person, they feed off of that fear and gain energy for themselves. So this is you know, why we end up calling them an energy vampire. And that's, uh, you hear that story actually quite often. But again, not always. You hear about some... Um, you know, I have an entire chapter on hat-wearing entities in my book, A Walk in the Shadows. Like uh, Tanya Sargissian has a story in there. She hers is actually with the with the top hat and the cape, and it didn't do anything malicious. It just kind of floated through the room, um, and she thought, you know, it may have been the the building, the house used to be what was known as one-eyed Jack's mortuary. And so her question was, okay, was this one-eyed Jack, you know, that had come back? You know, was this the mortician from decades and decades and decades ago? So some of them could just very well be human spirits, you know, and in that case there, that one would, could possibly be, because we don't know for sure, could possibly be just a human spirit manifesting as a shadow. Um, and when we... When we talk about shadow entities and get into different types, that's that's something that we do talk about quite a bit. Um, you know, because there are a lot of people out there that will postulate this idea that you know all shadow uh, you know, all shadow people are evil and they're the darkest of the dark and the evil of the most evil thing, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just simply not the case. Uh, there's just, there's a large variety of different types of shadow entities. And what I always end up saying is that shadow people are like regular people. Some are good, some are bad. They have their own agendas, and we don't know what that is until we start interacting with them. But yeah, some are, some are just humanoid, humanoid, some are just human spirits. You know, they were once a person like you and I in life, and they're still around here in death and when they materialize they don't always materialize into a full apparition sometimes it just come off as a shadow and then again we've kind of run down the list um, during this show but you know whether they are extraterrestrials or they um, or they are a time traveler or an astral projector there's a lot of different things that they could be so let me kind of scroll through here uh, with your questions real quick 
Um, yeah, Nicole, I don't know, Mike, you know a lot about men in black for someone who's not a man in black. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know a few things. Uh, let's see. So, okay. And Tom's kind of asking that question about telepathy. At times I hear my name shouted out, but there isn't anyone around calling me. Uh, could that be telepathy? I mean, it could be. If you're just hearing it in your head, in your mind, then that would be you know, some form of telepathy. If you're actually hearing it with your ears and it was shouted out loud, but there's nobody around, that would be a disembodied voice. Um, and you do get that. I, 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 you know, Tom, I know you do a lot of paranormal investigations, and you do get that uh, from time to time during a paranormal investigation. Um, Mineral Springs Hotel, we would get that. Uh, if you recall that fountain when we were, uh, I guess you might have been there when we were trying to get uh, EVPs off of the fountain. And when you do that, uh, using, you know, water-based EVP is what it's called. Uh, our our friendly Ehrlich has kind of put all this together. But, you know, we say water-based EVP, and, you know, we're recording it on our audio recorders, but you actually hear it with your ears, so it's really like a disembodied voice that we are recording, and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So, all right. Um, so we've got about 10 minutes here left in the show. You guys can uh, throw down any uh, last questions that, uh, that you might have. But, yeah, to me, this is always a, a, a fun topic, trying to, you know, go down the road of, men in black, you know, hat wearing shadows, because there are so many different similarities and they really could be each other from a variety of different angles. I mean, even when it comes to, you know, like an astral projector. So, and this isn't something that we've, we've talked about uh, too much, but the, the idea that sometimes we may with some of these entities be seeing somebody who is actually uh, astral projected to our environment, if they were wearing a hat while they projected, uh, you know, would that be in their form? You know, it's it's a, it's a possibility. We've kind of postulated that a little bit with uh, you know with shadow entities that you know on the other side of that projection. So you you project out of your body to you know we'll say you're going to. I always, I, for whatever reason, I like using the example of a, a grandmother visiting a daughter and her granddaughter, traveling like 500 miles to do that. On the other side, when she's visiting her her daughter and her granddaughter, does does she come off as a shimmer sometimes? Because her energy is there. You know, is there a part of her that actually tries to manifest as a form and it ends up becoming, you know, a, you know, a part of a shadow, and that's what you know, some people end up seeing. So it's actually a loved one that's actually still living. Um, so you know, would a hat manifest in that regard? Um, you know, the other one I talk a little bit about, um, and just very, very briefly in a walk in the shadows is the idea of the gin. Um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley had, uh, postulated at one point that with gin, cause those are more like trickster spirits that, uh, possibly as they are, going through their whole trickster type of uh, montage that they may be trying to dress like a human and, you know, come off as they are actually, you know, not 
some other supernatural entity, but a human themselves, and they put on this clothing uh, or the image of a clothing, but they're not actually human, of course, because they're a, a jinn. And even, um, again, with Albert K. Bender and what he talked about uh, with these visitors when he started communicating with them uh, a little bit, you know, he had asked about the clothing because, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, aliens in his account. Um, they had said that they had put that clothing on to be more relatable while conversing with him. So even though, okay, they have glowing eyes, they're talking with telepathy, they're materializing out of nowhere, you know, they end up disappearing into nowhere. Um, you know, they're going to put on this this clothing to make him feel a little bit more comfortable. So <laughs> it's kind of, but it's kind of the same idea with uh, with what Rosemary uh, had supposed with the with the gin is that they were putting on this clothing to make themselves appear more human, even though they're not. And not really going to go down this rabbit hole this evening. We only have a few minutes left anyway. Um, but I always find the uh, ancient history and the ancient cultures very interesting anyways because they each have their own take on this phenomenon, whether it's shadows or sleep paralysis or all that related type of activity. The jinn are one um, from uh, you know, some of the uh, Arabic uh, cultures out in the Middle East, but there are other ones all over the world, and they all kind of describe the same phenomenon. So like when it comes to, to, to the jinn being some of these different things, it's like, well, that's just like one culture's name for what all these other cultures are describing. They have their own names too. Um, so I think it's really all, you know, related entities, just each culture from around the world has, you know, called it another name and they've put legend and folklore around it. So it all sounds, it, it sounds a bit different, but when you get to the core of it, it's like, well, that's very similar to this one, you know, over here in Indonesia and is very similar to the one in Brazil and very similar to the one in Iceland, you know, and, and of course the United States. So all very similar. So in many regards, these things could all just be the same thing, just described a little differently because these stories and everything have been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. So um, Tom says, hope to meet you next month, Nicole, when I'm in Ohio. So Tom, you coming out to Paris Icon? Hope so. Hope so. I, I, I heard you and Nick might be coming down for that. So uh, all right. So we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up the the show here. I uh, really appreciate you guys, you know, joining in, tuning in. You had a lot of great questions down there in the chat. Um, again, we have, let me bring up the, the list here real quick. Uh, monthly Q&A video, you guys get your questions in because that will be going up by, by Friday. Tomorrow, Guiding Echoes uh, YouTube channel, check that out, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Nicole will be, uh, interviewing me on the dark side of consciousness. That's going to be really interesting. And then our game night on Friday. Um, and then when it comes to the shadow dimension, uh, I just posted, okay. On the shadow dimension website. And I, I put it out there on the Facebook page as well. The whole listing of all the special guests 
that are within the docu-series. So go check that out, shalldimension.com, uh, or go to the Facebook page, and you'll see the entire list of everybody uh, that's in there. And little descriptions and uh, those screen captures that I have up there are straight from the Shadow Dimension. So you get a little, uh, a, a, there's like 16 different stills there of uh, of the Shadow Dimension. And it'll either be out this weekend or the very beginning of next week, a more extended sneak peek of the series. Uh, again, I can't, I mean, I have a, a, a small list of uh, streaming services that have, have picked it up. I do not know when they're actually going to air it, but as soon as they start releasing it and airing it, I will let you know who's who's carrying it. And but it'll be it'll be soon. Not that much I can say. Uh, just each service has their own different methodology of doing things. So that'll all be soon. All right, I know that's a lot, guys. 